Yeah, we've been, we've been in the classroom the last couple of weeks, and um, so we're going to continue. And uh, so this is, this is good. you have to put your teaching, your, your thinking hat on. Is that what they call it? Thinking cap? Yeah, you're going to put your thinking cap on. Uh, because I, I want to look at some scriptures. Um, really, we're looking at one of the most controversial and uh, probably highly debated chapters in all of the New Testament. And um, yeah, get ready. Buckle up. Uh, we were already there last week. We're going to continue it on, continue on looking at it. Uh, but I, I want to do it because I, I want to try to paint a picture or establish a new lens in which you look at the Word of God through. Okay. When, when you come to the Word of God, you come to the Word of God with all of your experiences, all of your teaching, all of your baggage, all of your pain, your trauma, your ups, your downs, your summer camps, your Sunday schools, your grandpas. Your, you, we come to the Word of God with all of this stuff. And that's how we see or interpret His Word. And so I, I want to I try to help us for a couple minutes just kind of come to the Word of God neutrally. So without, without an already predetermined idea, but just to let the Word of God speak for the Word of God. The best way to interpret the word is by the word. It, it does, a really good, does a really good job. We've been reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says in verse 6, for this reason, Paul, Paul writes to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Where is it? It's in you, not outside of you, not in a book, not in a classroom. It's, it's already, you have a gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul says to Timothy, you have a gift but you got to stir it up. We talked about this last week. Whatever is not stirred becomes stagnant. So you, you've got gifts in you, but you gotta, you got to stir them up. You've got to activate the gifts. Now, we're, we are going to take a 30,000-foot view of a lot of different subjects and a lot of different things that we need about 16 hours to actually unpack. So if you're saying, well, you didn't talk about that thing, it, it's just right now because we don't have time. All right, we're going 30,000-foot view, and we're going to dive in. But, but I think this will help you in how you stir up or activate the gifts of the Spirit or how you see the Word of God. For the gifts to work in your life, you have to work them. Nobody likes work, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you, if, if the gifts of God are going to work, you got to work them, which means they don't work on their own. They work in partnership with you. That, that if you want to begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you have to begin to operate in the, works of the, in, in the gifts of the Spirit. You have to practice. Now, I want to go back to the chapter that we've been in, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We looked at the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and and now we're going to read a a pretty massive chunk of scripture, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. This is the chapter. There's a lot of controversy about this chapter, but we're going to look at it again and together. It says, now I want you, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, now I want you all to speak in tongues. Does anyone know what all means in the Bible? Okay, I just, 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 I'm just going to help you with some rhetorical questions to help funnel our discussion. It says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. This letter was written to the church at Corinth for instructions in how to run church. So it wasn't written for your home. It wasn't written for your prayer closet. It was written to the church on how to do things in church. So it says, this is the, the, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So our purpose in the church should be to build the church. 
So our purpose in coming to church is really not even to build us. Our purpose in coming to church is to build each other. And in turn, we are built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If, I, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? It's funny that it calls it bugle. That's, that's just, I keep on stumbling over that. Like, NIV says trumpet. I like that better. So with yourselves... If, you're t- if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive, desire, work to, excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? That's what Paul says. What am I to do? He says, I will pray with my spirit. Interesting he says that. He says, what am I to do? He says, I will still pray with my spirit but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thing? Do you know saying amen is in the Bible? Yeah, that, that, that's why it says it needs, to be, it needs to be in a language that people understand so that other people can say amen to what you're saying. It says amen to what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's Paul in his humility. He'd like to share with us that he speaks in tongues more than all of us. <laughs> Nevertheless, in a church, in a church, in a church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of verses, and there's a lot of emotions that are in the room right now because of things you've already heard. So let me tell you this. Pastor Steve actually said this to me a while ago. He said, what did you preach on before you had kids? Because I always use my kids as illustrations. So my, my, my lens of, of life is through sports and parenting. So before, all I talked about was sports. Now I talk about my parenting in sports. I, so I've, I've come to this conclusion that you can go to a sporting event and your child can be playing and you can be standing next to a dad that their child is playing on the opposite team and that kid can foul my kid and I can see it as a foul and he can watch the same foul and say, that wasn't a foul. We're watching the same game. We're watching the same teams We're watching the same players, and we have come up with two different outcomes from that same play. In in, in fact, we have different types of parents at sporting events. I, 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 there's one that I that I know of, and um, and and she she just has a predetermined idea about what her kid's going to do. So, for instance, her kid got hurt the other day. He's on the field, and uh, he's just laying there. I mean, he's just laying there on the field, like crying. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like is somebody gonna help this kid? And she's like, leave him alone. He's fine. I'm like, how do you know? He's like, he's laying there. He does this all the time. He's fine. 
I'm like, oh, okay. So we just sat there, you know, he just squirmed and just cried. And before he knew it, he jumped back up and went back to playing. I'm like, I guess he, I guess he does all the, do it all the time. We saw the same thing. We both had crazy different reactions. But she had a history of him faking it. So she's like, he's fine. I don't know him, so I had compassion. Now, if it was my kid, then I would have a different set of emotions. Because I bring to the experience my past, my emotions, my confidence, my insecurities, my trauma. Actually, a lot of parents bring a lot of things to these things. Now that I'm talking about it, it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's been rough for you, hasn't it? That's right. I, I want The reason I see a foul different than the other dad sees a foul is because I have a predetermined bias. Bias. Let, let me give you the definition of bias. Bias is the action of supporting or opposing a particular person or thing in an unfair way because of allowing personal opinions to influence your judgment. You've ever been watching a sporting event with friends, and you're rooting for different teams, and you get in an argument about if it should be a catch or not? Too soon? Uh, still? You get in an argument over... There were some people in the room that got it. Some people didn't. That's all right. We'll just move on. Move on. You, you see the same thing, but you see it different because you have a bias. When... when, when when I'm at these sporting events, sometimes this is the question I'm asking. Are we watching the same game? Are we watching the same game? But I'm going to tell you this. This is what I'm doing right now in church world. Are we reading the same Bible? Are we, are we reading the same Bible? Because you read it, and you come up with this conclusion. I read it, and I come up with this conclusion. And I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, or you're right or wrong. I'm saying that we bring to the Bible our own bias. In fact, in scripture, in, in interpretation or study of scripture, it's called this. Maybe you've heard this. It's called confirmation bias. And this is what most Christians are guilty of. Confirmation bias. And this is what it is. The basic human tendency to search for evidence that supports personal beliefs and to overlook contradictory claims. This is all over TikTok. People are like, you hate TikTok? No, I just like get tired of all the lies. So I guess I don't like it, but there's truth on it as well. This contra I think contradictory bias. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Contradictory bias is how we approach a lot of the word. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to show you this. We've been talking about the gifts. There is a whole group of people in our world that are Christians that believe that the gifts ceased to operate with the apostles. That there's no that God that God's not doesn't give out gifts anymore. He doesn't operate by the gifts of the Spirit, and and most of them get that from one scripture in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, which is the love chapter. Some of you had this read at your wedding, all right. And in that chapter is the argument that people stand next to with confirmation bias to say that God does not release gifts anymore. I'll show it to you. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse eight. It says, love never ends. Okay, this is about love. It says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. If you come with confirmation bias, you got it. There it is. I got it. Prophecies will pass away. As for tongues, whoo, got them. They will cease. And some of you are like, TikTok. The Bible says, 
because you came with confirmation bias. Because if you keep reading, it says, as for knowledge, it will pass away. So for tongues and prophecies to cease and to stop, knowledge also has to pass away. You can't pick one because you felt uncomfortable with it and not the other ones. It says, well, let's just keep reading. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, this is the belief. The belief is when Scripture was canonized or when the Bible became the Bible, when they said this is the Word of God, that the apostles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were to help us confirm everything that's said in the Bible. But now that we have the Bible, we don't need the gifts. That's difficult for me to believe because living through this life, I need some gifts. I need the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I need help. I, I need wisdom. I need what he has. So if you keep on reading, it says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Next verse. Says in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When you see face to face, that's when you see Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you ain't on this earth anymore. All right? That, that, that's, that is, that, this hasn't happened yet. So that, that belief, if you come with confirmation bias because you feel uncomfortable because some people misrepresented the Holy Spirit, you can say, oh, yeah, it stopped. And you have not read the entire scripture or don't understand the context of the scripture or what Paul is even writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In this continuation of this thought that God does use and release gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when we read the Bible, we have to come with an open mind and we have to let the Bible confirm what the Bible says. In fact, when we read the Bible, there should never be anything in us that rises up in opposition. Or I could say it this way. When something rises up in opposition, it's an indicator that we have to inspect it. Right? So it's like, man, I really like that part. I really like that part uh, about, about, about uh, blessing. I like that part about throwing open the windows of heaven. I like that. I don't like to love your enemies. We don't get to do that, right? Because that, that, that's picking and choosing a scripture that reinforces our predetermined bias or reinforces the way that we live our lives. We have to come to this Bible neutrally. So if I've got a catch in my spirit, right, when it's like love your enemies, it's probably because I need to dig down. I might need to forgive someone or I might need to love someone. And the reason I don't like it because it makes me feel uncomfortable about the way that I'm living. So if I'm reading about Paul saying, I speak in tongues more than y'all and, and you recoil, ugh, tongues. That might be something to dig into. Because why would we ever recoil about God's written word? That seems like, that seems like a, a little bit of a, a red flag. If we are recoiling about something that he put in the scripture. The context of this passage of scripture is being in church. So verse 5 says this. We read this. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. The goal is this, that in church, the church would be built up. In church. Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, if you come with confirmation bias, the only part of this scripture that you read 
is the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. That's true in the context of the church. And why is it true? If you were with us last week, then you know this, that tongues or praying in the Spirit is directed to God. Prophecy is connected to one another. When I prophesy or speak for God, it's the overflow of God's heart of love towards me and you, communicated through humans. That's prophecy. It's not like some crazy foretelling the future. It's been that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's three things we talked about last week. You remember? Prophecy in the New Testament is to build up. So we should be built up every time we come to church. To be stirred up. That's like step on your toes, provoke you a little bit, slightly offended. It's just like, not all the way into offense, just like, ouch, in love. And to cheer up. So when I communicate God's heart to you, it should build you up, stir you up, or cheer you up. When you communicate God's heart to me, it should build me up, stir me up, or cheer me up. Church becomes a lot more fun when we all start doing this. When we're not trying to judge one another, but we're coming looking around who we can be, who we can build up, stir up, or cheer up. Some of you are like, I'll be the stir guy. It's like, okay, if you said that, you probably need to be the cheer guy. That's confirmation. Confirmation. Verse 12 says, so with yourself, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church building up the church. So this should be our goal when we come to church. See, somehow along the lines, we got all convoluted on the purpose of the church. We come to the church now for us, which we want to do everything we can to minister to you. We want to do everything we can to build you up. But you know the way this thing actually is full of life and vibrancy is when we come with this purpose. Grab all your friends and family Come to the house of God and let's build one another up. Let's stir one another up. Let's cheer one another up. It says this in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. This is some of these things that were 30,000 foot view that we need 1132U to dig in a little bit deeper. It says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now hold on. When people hear this, this is, this is confirmation bias. Well, I don't want my mind to be unfruitful. How many hours a day is your mind unfruitful? <laughs> I would venture to say a large percentage. Not only unfruitful, it could be detrimental. When you pray in the Spirit, the Bible says it builds up your spirit. But because it's a heavenly language, I don't have to use my mind to, right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm using my mind, to the best of my ability, to put words together to communicate thoughts. But if I prayed in the Spirit, I would not need my mind. My mind would be unfruitful. So then I would pray in the Spirit, Spirit to Spirit. Now, after this, right after he says this, he says, what do I do? What should I do? And he says this word. I like skipping to the next page. It makes me feel smart. I will. I will. Now, this is going to set somebody free. Because if he's saying I will, 
that also, also means he can say, I won't. And some of your whole theological position on the Holy Spirit is that he'll take you over and make you do crazy things. That you're gonna be walking down aisle nine of H-E-B and you're gonna be t- taken over by the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues. That's not gonna happen. Paul says, what do I do? Well, I will pray in the Spirit. Where is the context in which he's talking about? What do we start with? Where is he at? In church. So what do I do? I will pray in the Spirit, even in church. What he's talking about is I'm not going to get on stage and I'm not going to preach to you in tongues because that's not profitable to you unless it's interpreted. Because the trumpet's not sounding a clear call. No one's going to understand. No one's going to get ready for battle. What am I doing? It'd be better for me to speak five words in English than 10,000 words in a tongue. But for us in the body, when we're joined together, will I pray in the Spirit? Yes, I will. I'm not forced to. I'm not manipulated to. I'm not taken over to. I make a cognitive decision to, just like if you prophesy, you can prophesy. Or you can't. I will or I won't. You can worship or not. Nobody's for It's your decision. And if I pray in a tongue, I will or I won't. He says, I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray with my mind. Now, I like this. I like this because when he says, I pray with my mind, there's a reason why he's saying to pray with your mind. He's, he's not saying just to think thoughts. This is in the context of out loud speaking. Right? That's what we're navigating here is what you say out of your mouth. And the reason that he wants us to pray in English or in a language that where we are that people can understand is because of what it says in, let's see, I think what it says in verse 16. It says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? So it's saying, if you pray in tongues, how can anyone say amen to that because they don't know what you're saying? But if... it Uh, amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. So this is a biblical argument for how church should be conducted. And he's saying, I want to make sure that you say stuff out loud that people can hear so that you can say amen to it. The church of Corinth must have been really crazy. Somebody like, well, I like quiet churches. That's fine. They're just not biblical. I, I, I said, sorry, take that, take that back. Well, I would be interested if you could find something that could support that. Because when Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, he's saying, say this, speak this, say that. What you don't say with your mind, you say with your mouth. So he says, how can someone say amen if you're just speaking in tongues? He said, so pray with your mind so that as you give thanksgiving to God, someone will hear you and say amen. And everybody said, that's good. You're very biblical today. I like it. Isn't this interesting that if you take away your confirmation bias and you take away the baggage and things that you bring and your predisposed ideas of how church should be, and you actually look at what Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, he's talking about a lot of people being loud and talking. And he said, when they speak in, it's, it's actually going to build you up. When I hear so-and-so begin to praise God, when you praise God, I'm going to say amen. Woo. 
Amen. Now, we've made it different now in today's, like, preaching world is now it's like, hey, everybody talk back to the preacher, and I'll preach shorter, right? We make jokes like that. I don't, I don't but other people that come here do. <laughs> because we don't say amen to make the preaching shorter or longer or better. We say amen because the Bible says to say amen to the things or to the thanksgiving or to the things that are being declared in the house of God that you agree on. So it's not about preach it, white boy. Right, that's what all the youth pastors say. All like, you can holler back, preach a white boy. It's not about any of that. It's about say amen to the word of God. That the, that the people of God would be built up. We, we, we have watered down the, the purity of the expression of the church of Jesus Christ. Because we don't want to offend people or we don't want to make, make people feel uncomfortable. So now you've gotten used to a watered-down, complacent, passive church, and when you step into something else, you're like, is this what church is supposed to be? Show me a scripture that supports the church that you used to be at. And I'm not trying to bash other churches. I'm not trying to bash other pastors. We need everybody in the body of Christ. I'm just helping you understand that sometimes we can come with a predetermined or confirmative bias when we come to the church or come to the Word of God and we can sit back and say, that's wrong, and we've never even studied it. We've never even read it. We've never even read past tongues will cease. Gotcha. But you got to read more than that. I mean, you, you got to, I mean, come on. We, we, we got to dig a little bit deeper than that Sunday school line that you heard 47 years ago. Like, where does it say it? Fine. Hey, and you know what? I'm not always right. You're not always right. Flip it back on you real quick. You're not always right. So you know what we need to do? Keep cleansing the lens and going back to the word. I have to be held accountable to what I believe. And you know what? I preached things 15 years ago that I preach a little bit different today. You know why? Because I have to keep cleansing the lens and looking at it. There's been times when I was a youth pastor, there was a couple times I preached messages that I just, you know, kind of wish would be scrubbed from YouTube. Because I was passionate, but I just, I needed a little bit more help theologically. My heart was good. The context of the verse was maybe a little out, okay? So, so I got to go back and say, no, that, that's not right. That's not right. I got to cleanse the lens, and I got to see it differently. I got to see, not how, the, oh, yeah, look it. That verse supports how I grew up. No. No. What is the verse actually saying? What picture is it? painting. So I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind. I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in English. I will sing in the spirit and I will sing in English. It says so that they could say amen. Now check this out. Nevertheless in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay so we have to do this really quickly because sometimes we forget what are we talking about? In church, it would be better for someone that's presenting to say five words in a language we all understand than 10,000 in a tongue. In church. The Bible also says that the way you build yourself up, and Paul actually in this scripture, we read it, last week, is the way you build yourself up is by praying in the Spirit. 
Some people use that as an argument to not pray in the spirit because they're like, oh, yeah, so selfish. I'm not here to build myself up. (laughs) You're not? Why'd you come today? Well, I came to build the church, Pastor. Okay, good. There's probably there's probably some of us that did. Some of us, honestly, we have a hard time doing anything for anybody else. And the, this context of scripture is that we are supposed to come together and build one another up. Here's the good thing: if everybody's building, you get built too. So you don't gotta worry, well, I'm the only builder around here, I'm the only one cheering people up. If we do our job, You're getting built up. You're getting stirred up. You're getting cheered up. How? By building up, stirring up, cheering up other people. Now, how do you build your, how do you, you ever done a workout for somebody else? No, you work out for you. So how do you build yourself up spiritually? The Bible says this all over. In fact, in Jude, verse 20, it says this, my son was happy I was going to use him, use his namesake as a illustration today. Jude 20 says, but you beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit. One translation of the scripture actually doesn't have and, it has by. By praying in the spirit. Either way that you cut it, that praying in the spirit is a part of keeping you in the most holy faith. Now, I love this one. Everybody loves the armor of God. Doesn't matter what denomination you are, everybody loves them a little armor, all right? You're like, yeah, man, pastor, let's talk about that sword. Let's talk about that shield. No fiery darts coming up in this house today. All right, good, love it, love it. I love all of it. It's really good. As long as we read the whole scripture. Everybody good with reading the whole scripture? All right, all the armor lovers, you good with reading the whole scripture? It says in Ephesians 6, 16, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming, flaming darts of the evil one. Fly, flaming? Flying and flaming. That's good. Flaming darts of the evil one. We love that one. Oh, yeah, the devil's been throwing darts at me all week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that cop pulled me over, throwing that fiery dart, but I got the shield of faith. No, friends, you sped. Like, oh, we can't, we can't, like, lose our entire brains here. Like, our mind is important. Man, it's just, man, they're foreclosing on my house. Devil's after me. Nope, you got to pay your mortgage. That's not the devil, right? And the armor's not going to stop that. So we like that. We like that one, the, the shield. And take up the helmet of salvation. Ooh, I like that. And the sword of the spirit. Everybody's loving that sword. Sword of the spirit. Stab the devil in the throat. I mean, it's like, yeah. Which is the word of God? Comma. Does everybody see the comma? This thing's in the way. Can you guys see the comma? It's right here. A comma. Which means the sentence isn't over. And everybody's like, put a bow on the armor of God. I'm doing that every day. That's great. But it's not over. It says, and praying, uh, let's see, verse 18, comma, praying at all times in the spirit. And Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 14 what praying in the spirit was. He said to not, not take over the spirit service by praying in the spirit. 
He says it builds, your, it builds you up, not everybody else. So be careful about it. So that's if we're gonna if we're gonna peg it there, we gotta peg it here. And it says, and praying in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Period. So the armor's not complete until you start praying in the spirit. Well, let me say it a little bit nicer. The armor's not complete until we begin praying in the spirit. Okay, now, I have heard horror stories of people's experience with the Holy Spirit. But I want, I want to be careful how I say this because how you say it really matters. How many of you have heard of somebody with just like a traumatic story about their experience with the Holy Spirit? Okay, no, wait, pause. Because you got to be careful how you respond to it too. Have they ever said they had a traumatic experience with the Holy Spirit? No, at least I've never heard. With the person that represented the Holy Spirit, yes. With the service that the Holy Spirit was demonstrated, yes. With, but with the Holy Spirit, I've never in my whole life. I've been preaching since I was 16 years old. I've been in churches all over the world. I have never heard anybody be like, yeah, the Holy Spirit like freaked me out. It was like that guy with the Holy Spirit, right? So, Jesus actually addresses this. Luke chapter 11, it says this. I love this passage of scripture. It says in verse 10, for everyone who asks receives. Now this, if you got some, if you got some bias, you, you're taking this scripture and running with it. Everyone who asks receives, bless God. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, I'm gonna tell you something about scripture interpretation. This is a principle of scripture. All throughout scripture, that if you ask, you will receive. Okay, that is a principle of scripture. So when you pull something from scripture and you see a thread of truth throughout scripture, it can reinforce that idea. But it is still important to understand the context of what it's written. The context of what this verse is written in, the ask and receive, is not like whatever you want. It is to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now listen, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil, so even you, us that are good dads, compared to God, we're evil. He says, even you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the actual scriptural integrity of ask and receive seek and find, knock and the door will be opened, is in the context of asking for the Holy Spirit. Now, is it through all throughout Scripture, our request unto God? Absolutely. But contextually in Luke chapter 11, it is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I like this for like a lot of reasons. Here's a couple. Some of you have been taught that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, it will possess you. Some of you have been taught if you speak in tongues that it's a demon which would be surprising for you to hear how many people actually say that. I almost think like Jesus knew what would happen. And he wrote this scripture, if somebody asks for a piece of bread, I'm not giving them a serpent. Or you could say it this way, if somebody asks for the Holy Spirit, I'm not giving them a demon. He's a good father 
who gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I know even from reading this passage, there's all these scriptures. How do we interpret? How do we this? All this. But, but can you just, can you just, th- th- this is the goal today, that we would wipe the slate clean on, on confirmation bias. Come to the word of God neutrally and see that God is not trying to give you the Holy Spirit in some way to freak you out or give you something other than the Holy Spirit to try to deceive you. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. Now, what power does the Holy Spirit have for me besides gifts? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, our teacher. The Holy Spirit, in the Greek, we don't have time to get into it, but the Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos, which means paraclete. It means the one who comes alongside. The picture in the Greek is walking arm in arm with a friend. That wherever you go, you have the Holy Spirit with you. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, God's not giving you an enemy. He's giving you an ally. In fact, when the Bible says, I will never leave you and never forsake you, it is not God that's jumping down, linking arms with you. The way God's heart is manifested is through His Holy Spirit. It's His Holy Spirit that will never leave you and never forsake you. Now, this one's never popular, but... Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody loves, man, the Holy Spirit, that's weird, but I like Jesus. Okay, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying for me and for you. That's what the Bible says. So, like, not to hurt anybody's theology, he's not in your heart. I asked Jesus in my heart when I was five. I did too, I did too. But the Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me and for you. But the Bible says that Christ dwells in. The Bible actually says is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God is in you as a deposit guarantee. So the Holy Spirit is in you that convicts you, that teaches you, that comforts you, that loves you, that helps you, that speaks to you. And if you ask for that Holy Spirit, God's not giving you a serpent. God's not giving you a devil. God's not giving you something weird. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give you his Holy Spirit. You know what we could do today is we could be like, everybody come to the front. We're praying for the fire of the Holy Spirit. We could do that. That'd be fun. And I would like that. But you know what we're doing today? Is we're asking gently and calmly, with reverence in our hearts, that the gentleness of God's Holy Spirit would be a part of our, if you're a businessman, businesswoman, you need the Holy Spirit. If you're a mom or you're a dad, you need the Holy Spirit. If you're a student in this world today, you need the Holy Spirit. Do you hear me? If you're pursuing God's assignment or purpose on your life, you need the Holy Spirit. And the enemy's best tactic is to try to get you that something that could help you so much is actually bad for you. Think about how powerful for him to get you to think that what God sent to you as your help is actually no help at all. But if we can come to the scripture purely and clearly we can see that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for our sins and forgive us of those sins. And he sent the Holy Spirit to the church to help and empower and heal and mend and walk alongside us through this 